All right, welcome everybody. Um, I have extra drinks up here because I haven't felt that great. And thank you to Kelly and Isaac for providing me with some tea that I don't normally drink tea, but this is kind of magical. It's actually helping me out quite a bit. So I appreciate that. Um, before we, uh, my name's John Davis. I lead the tech team in the back. Andrew is out running a half marathon. He may be done by now, depending upon how well he did. Um, but he's out running a half marathon this morning. Um, so that's, I, I would much rather be here talking to you than running a half marathon. So I'm, I'm happy with, with how this worked out. Um, before we jump in today, if there's anybody in here who has served in our military in any form or fashion, I'd really uh, like to ask you guys just to stand up real quick. Um, I know some of y'all been in the military. I know who you are, so stand up. Okay. <laughs> I, I just want to say thank you because at any given point, sometimes we do these little announcements and we say thanks for your service and, and definitely thank you for your service. But um, I just want to honor you guys because at any given point, somebody's standing on a wall, somebody's in the, the cockpit of a, of a plane or on a ship and they're there ready to defend us and protect our freedoms. And so we want to honor you guys for that and just say a heartfelt thank you for your service. So. So over the last um, month or so, well, actually, let's, let's go with the whole year. Um, yeah, I'm out of, out of sync there. Um, we've been through the year of discipleship this year. We're going through the Bible, um, studying it, reading it together. Uh, Justin mentioned that earlier about the uh, F260 Bible reading plan and the importance of that just to kind of build up on what he said about that is that is how we are just taking this gospel and putting it into our hearts and our minds and just letting it become part of us. And that is why it's important to do that. Not just because we get to check things off of a box and say, hey, we, we did this. It's not a um, special thing that we do to get, get more favor from God, but it does allow us to get to know God better and become who he wants us to be. So um, I said it before, if we can get you at least the last week of this year, if we can get you in there reading that thing, we're going to count that as a win. So, so get in there, jump in, jump in with us. Um, today we're going to be talking about um, evangelism, but the reason why this is important over the last several weeks, we've talked about the gospel. Um, we talked a couple weeks ago about giving and that that's a gospel response. It's not about a, a preacher standing up here and trying to get more money, but it's about our response to the gospel of responding to Christ's generosity with our generosity. Um, and then last week, Andrew talked about um, preaching the gospel to ourselves and just putting that inside our hearts so that what goes into our heart is what comes out and that that becomes who we are in our actions in our day-to-day -day life. The second part of that is what we're going to be talking about today is evangelism. But before we jump into that, I just want to kind of talk about what we think about when we hear the word evangelism. For me, growing up in the era that I did, I think about the word evangelism um, is, well, there we go. The, I'm just all over the place. So maybe this is not as magical as I thought it was. Um, we're going to be talking about biblically effective evangelism. I know that sounds like a class that you would take in college, like biblically effective evangelism 101 or something, but hopefully it doesn't come across that way when, when we talk about it. But when we think about evangelism, one word that comes to my mind is evangelist. And the first evangelist that I think of when I think of that term is Billy Graham. Um, he's probably, I think, the, the most well-known historically um, evangelist of our time. <clears throat> but we might not 
only think about him. We may think about evangelists, but we also might think about tele-evangelists. Um, and this was a big thing from my time frame. We had Jim and Tammy Faye. Um, we might have had Benny Hinn. Um, and the, <laughs> I know I shouldn't say this, but I don't know. I think he kind of looks cool there with his, like, I don't know. But, um, and then we've got Jimmy Swaggart, which is one of the, the history's ugliest cries that we've ever had. And if you like these guys, I'm sorry if I offended you, but um, that's what we think of when we think about evangelism. Another term that's come up in the last couple decades is evangelical, and it's more of a political push with the beliefs and rallies, that kind of thing. We are not talking about politics today, so don't even go down that path right now. We're not going there. I'm just talking about what we think about when we hear this word, evangelism. Um, and not to be outdone by Jay or Andrew, in fact, to attempt to outdo them today, I'm not only going to share the Greek root word of evangelism, I'm going to give you the Latin one too, just so that I can outdo them. Um, the word evangelize comes from the church Latin evangelizare, uh, which means to spread or preach the gospel, with the Greek root euangelizte, or bring good news. The gospel is the good news. And just as a side note, um, I think Jay could speak Greek and Hebrew fluently. Um, Andrew definitely knows and has studied way more Greek than I have. I'm just really good at Google searches to look up Greek words and stuff. I just wanted to fit in today. But I do think it's important to realize that the, the root of that word, because words are important, is that it's to bring the good news, to share the gospel. Our passage today is Romans 10, 9 through 17. You guys can either turn in your Bible to that or follow on the, on the app on your phone or on the screen. But in verse 9, it starts, it says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Verse 15, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Before we jump in the message, let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you so much for today. Um, just the gift of today. Thank you that even when we might not feel great or not at our, at our best, that we always have more than enough to be grateful for uh, through your gospel, through, through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of your son, Jesus, God. I pray that you would open our hearts, both believers and non-believers, to your word, to your gospel, and that it can sink into our hearts even more than it already has. And I just pray that if somebody hasn't heard the gospel today, that they would see that clearly, and they would see what this Jesus that they've heard of is actually all about, and why they need him, God, and why we all need him, God. Thank you for your spirit in guiding us in our words today and in opening our hearts. It's in Christ's name. Amen. So today, in an attempt to address biblically um, effective evangelism, we're going to talk about the myths and the truths of biblical evangelism. For every myth, we're going to have a truth that we talk about with that. 
Myth number one is evangelism is only done people, by people like Billy Graham, who we saw earlier. Some variations of this might be only pastors evangelize, or I'm not good enough to evangelize, or it's not my job to evangelize. There's actually some biblical basis that people use for this, to say this. Um, in Ephesians chapter one, or 4, verse 1, it's talking about the... Um, the positions within the church. And Paul says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. And we have this tendency because someone's gifted in evangelism, we say, well, I'm not gifted in evangelism, so that's not my thing. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to evangelize. But the truth is that we're all called to evangelism. In Acts chapter 8, the church is young at this point, in verse seven, or chapter 7, just before this, Stephen has become the first martyr of the early church. And in verse, or chapter 8, verse 1, we see that Saul, who will eventually become Paul and actually be one of the greatest apostles, is actually persecuting the church. And Saul approved of his, Stephen's, execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And I want you to catch this one thing. It seems like I, I've read over this a hundred times, but it's really important. What does it say? They were all scattered except the apostles. So the main leaders of the church are the only ones that weren't scattered at this point. Let's keep that in our mind as we read this next verse. We drop down to verse four. It says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Went about evangelizing. So who was evangelizing? The leaders of the church? No, everybody that was scattered. It said everyone who was scattered, they were preaching the word. <clears throat> Charles Spurgeon says this, if there be one point in which the Christian church ought to keep its fervor at a white heat, it's concerning missions. If there be anything about which we cannot tolerate lukewarmness, it is the matter of sending the gospel to a dying world. And this is something I think all of us could get behind and say, yes, yes, let's send the gospel out to the dying world. And traditionally, especially in Baptist churches, missions has been so important. In fact, it gets defined, in my, in my estimation, in the wrong way, because the problem is we view missions as something missionaries do somewhere else. We define missions as something missionaries do somewhere else. When the truth is a missionary is simply someone on mission. I love our mission statement for our church. It's we're helping others find full life in Christ, in the gospel. That's what we're talking about, through Christ. Community, like what we're doing here. When we spend time together in each other's homes, that community. And on mission. We're all, every one of us in this room are called to be on mission we have a purpose that God's designed us for to be on mission. You may have to pray about whether or not you're supposed to go to Africa or whether or not you're supposed to move to this location to evangelize or whether or not you should be in this position to evangelize. But something you don't have to pray about is being on mission. We're all called to be on mission.
Myth number two, just share your testimony. And before any of you guys like attack me on this, hear me out through the entire thing. Because I grew up when I would be like, I don't know how to evangelize. I don't know how to witness to people. I don't know how to do this. I was told throughout my entire life, just share your testimony. Just share what's God, what God's done for you. Some of those variations of that might be, all you need is your testimony. Or God's made my life great. He can do the same for you too. Or your testimony is enough to lead people to Christ. And these might be harder ones to, to accept as a, as a myth, but bear with me and see if this holds true or not. Laura Powell is, a, is an author, and um, she works with the Gospel Coalition. She was on staff at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. And she wrote an article where she talks about the first time that she shared her personal testimony with friends. And she said that she was, when the opportunity arose, that she felt so good about it when she got done doing it. And her friend said, that's cool. I'm so happy you found something that works for you. And as they continued to talk about it, and she was like, well, what works for me? It's about what's true for everything. That's the truth. And her friend just said, that doesn't make sense. That's your experience, not mine. And she said that she had a similar experience where she left the church and her life got better. That her finances got better. And so she was just saying, hey, I found that leaving God behind serves my purposes better. She said that she was devastated and through these events, um, she said that she said she came to a point where she was heartbroken and confused. She said, I'd been taught that sharing what God had done in my life was the ideal way to witness to non-Christians. A personal testimony was interesting yet non-confrontational, compelling but inoffensive. And yet despite having shared my testimony with dozens of unbelievers, not a single person felt challenged to consider the true claims of Christianity. During that time, I had conversations with Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and even Muslims whose personal testimonies all sounded uncomfortably similar to mine. God had spoken to their hearts, answered their prayers, and had taken care of them in ways too remarkable to be mere coincidence. They all explained. Of course, their stories weren't the slightest bit convincing to me, just as mine hadn't been to them. She goes on to say, I began to realize that what makes a personal testimony inoffensive is also what makes it largely ineffective. Let me read that again. I began to realize that what makes a personal testimony inoffensive also makes it largely ineffective. I want to talk about a couple things that I think are necessary for us to hear, and they may be difficult to hear, but first off, our testimony won't necessarily be the same as someone else's. So to take that to a different level, what God has done in our lives may not be what he chooses to do in someone else's life. This is really important. I've worked with, um, with recovery programs, drug recovery programs, and there's always a group of people who are trying to leave the program just because they're battling their addiction and they want to leave the program. But I remember this one particular guy so specifically. It's been years and I just remember his face in my mind. He said that he had been told that his life was going to get better when he started following Christ. That he wouldn't struggle with his addiction anymore because that was the testimony he had heard from somebody else that his finances would get better and his family would be okay. Well, guess what happened? None of that. 
He said he had been lied to and he left the program. Now, I don't know what was in his heart, truly. It could have been a great excuse to leave the program. I don't know. But it stuck with me that my testimony when I go, God did this for me, whether I intend it that way or not, they take it as he's going to do the same thing for me. And the hard truth is it's not always going to work that way. It's not always going to be the same. So truth number two out of this, only the gospel effectively saves. Romans 10, 17 out of our passage, it says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Only the word of God can save people. Only the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ can save people. So what do we do with our testimony? Do we just throw it out and never share our testimony again, never talk about it? I'd say no, but I think we need to realize some truths about our testimony. Truth one, they often start the conversation about the gospel. I want to go back to this early church. So we saw them in chapter eight. We're going to go back to the beginning of the early church in Acts chapter two. I love this example, and I think it's our best place to go to say, how did God intend us to evangelize? If we go back to the source We can see this. So Acts chapter 2, 1 through 13, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived and they were all gathered together in one place. So they were doing as Christ had commanded them. They were coming together. And suddenly there came from the heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So this work is starting to happen. A testimony in their lives, right? It's their testimony of what God's done in their lives. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Our testimony may even amaze people. They may be amazed that our life changed so much. That we're so different than we were before we met God. But what do we see here? It says, they say, and how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? They're still seeing the work of God in the people. They're still seeing their testimony actively playing out. It goes through a long list of different ethnicities and and people who hear their language being spoken through this power. And in verse 11, it says, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new, new wine. As a side note, when we, sh- when we do share our testimony, we're likely to get one of two responses. We're either going to have people be amazed by it, or we're going to have people mock it and make fun of it. Those are typically the two responses that we're going to see in that situation. But you know what we don't see in the story of the church's early birth here? Like at this point when everybody's seen this amazing work, we don't see conversions. We don't see people coming to Christ because they saw the testimony of the people. But it does start a conversation. Acts 2.14 says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose. This work that you're seeing, this thing that's happening, there's a reason for it. And then in verse 16 it says, But this is what was uttered in the prophet Joel. 
The testimony was there. And then they spoke the word. Peter goes on to, for 25 plus verses to just preach the word, to share the gospel, the death, the burial, the story of Jesus Christ and the power that he had. And then at the end of that, after the gospel is spoken in verse 41, then we see conversions. It says, so those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. The testimony led to the conversation, but only the gospel can effectively save. So truth, truths about our testimony, they often start the conversation about the gospel. And in the Bible, they're most often seen and not spoken. And what I mean by that is the church was just living their life and they were seen in what they did. You look at most conversion stories in the Bible, there's an action happening and somebody goes, um, Paul and Silas were in the prison, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, this might be Paul and Barnabas. I may be mixing up the story. This wasn't in my notes. Um, they're in the prison. The jailer sees the work of God. And what does he say? He says, what must I do to be saved? And they share the gospel with them. There was a testimony and then the gospel was shared. And then third point that's really important, guys, or third part of the truth about our testimony, while they may not be effective in and of themselves of bringing people to Christ, they can be effective in driving them away. So is our, is our testimony important? 100%. 100%. If we're not living the way that we're supposed to, it can drive people away. At the same time, Sometimes I think we get like, oh, I've got to share scripture. I've got to share the story. But let's look at it this way. My testimony, my life is not the story of someone who got it perfect, who got it right. My testimony doesn't need to be the thing that has all the pressure on it to bring people to Christ. In fact, when we turn and, and show it in the light of Christ and the gospel, then it makes sense because God is the one who saves, not us. We don't earn our salvation. God saves us. Something else that's important about our testimony is we're not simply trying to bring people to church. We're trying to bring them into the kingdom. Let me be clear. If you brought somebody to church and then they heard the gospel and they decided to become a believer... That is awesome, and that's a great place to start. We talked about Friendsgiving being a great place to bring people. But we can't exclusively just say, I'm going to bring people to church and never try and evangelize if we're believers. So, how do I evangelize if my testimony is not enough? We're going to stay right here with the early church. So this church that was in chapter 8 was spread out and scattered, who they were effectively evangelizing. They knew what they were doing. How did they get there? How were they able to evangelize? In Acts 2, verse 42, this is right after the 3,000 people are added to the church. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What, what were the apostles' teaching? The word of God. The gospel. And the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. Community. And day by day attending the temple. They're equivalent to church or gatherings 
and breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So how do we learn to evangelize? We commit ourselves to the gospel, to the word of God, learning it. I'm sorry to burst a bubble, but it's not necessarily an easy thing to evangelize. It's not as simple as just sharing our testimony. We have a responsibility to know God more, learn his word, spend time with with his people, learn how to share that gospel. I could easily set up here and give you a list of verses that you can take and hand to somebody and guide them to Jesus. That's not actually what we're called to do. When Andrew talked two weeks ago, or last week about preaching the gospel to ourselves, that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be learning the word so it, we get so saturated in it that it just comes out, that it's who we are. First, uh, Peter later on in, in 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts honor Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for you a reason for the hope that is in you. He's saying you have to be prepared. You have to practice it. And how do you practice it? By letting the gospel guide you. I used to... <laughs> We used to do this thing. I remember growing up, I kind of grew up in a little bit of a weird church. And if you grew up in this type of church and I offended you that I called it weird, then I apologize. But we had this thing where we would do these like, it's almost like when you're like in a sales meeting or something, you do these role-playing things where like basically what you do is you sit there like one-on-one with somebody and you like take them through scriptures and your goal is to try and like win them to Christ. And you've always got this one jerk that's like like trying to give you every dumb reason like that he can, why he can't accept Christ. Has anyone else had to go through that? Or is it just me? I got two or three, okay. Um, But no, it's this weird role-playing thing where you practice, you practice, you practice. That's not the kind of practice I'm talking about. I'm talking about practicing living the gospel every day. And it's eventually gonna come out and it's gonna be so much more effective when it's just who you are. That's what the call is to on this. Colossians 4, 5 through 6 says this, because there's more than just learning the word and spending time in the word that we need. Because that early church had the spirit given to them. In verse 4 of Colossians, and, uh, or chapter 4, verse 5, it says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Be good stewards of how we're interacting with people. Let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is something that, yes, we learn through the scripture, but it's also by being guided by the spirit in these moments. It's opening our hearts to the spirit so that we know when to speak and when not to speak and how to do it. And this only happens by us getting to know God further and further. I've seen too many times on Facebook where something that maybe even was intended to be loving. But when I see the gospel, which is one of the most loving things, no, it's the most loving thing, put on Facebook and it turns into one of the most hateful things, that like breaks my heart. And it's our responsibility 
to think about these things soberly and say, Spirit, God, do do I need to say something right now? Is this the right time? It doesn't mean we're going to get it right all the time. Okay? Thank God for that. First service, I felt like a mess up here. I wasn't feeling good, and my brain was not. I felt like I was that far off from where my brain actually was. I'm not a ton better right now, but thank God that the Spirit will speak to other people too. But he does ask us to listen to him and not make a mess out of things. Myth number three, I'm only one person. It doesn't matter if I evangelize or not. I'm only one person. doesn't matter if I do it. I'm not called to it. Variations of this might be, I don't matter in evangelism. I'm not believing what God says about me. Or someone else will do it. Or it doesn't have to be me. So we basically have this thought that like, well, there's someone else who's going to pick up the slack. It's kind of like our kids when we're at home. And they're cleaning stuff up, right? Everybody's supposed to pick everything up. But one of them inevitably like starts kind of slacking, starts pulling back. And like in their mind, they're like, well, they're going to clean it up. Why should I have to clean it up? And you know what always happens? It doesn't get cleaned up. Other people are not necessarily called to do what you chose not to do. People aren't necessarily called to do what you chose not to do. So the truth to this that counters that is they won't hear if you don't share the good news of the gospel. There are people who you are called to share the gospel to. Now, you can say everyone's heard of Jesus, especially in America. Everyone's heard the name Jesus. I'd agree there's a good chance of that, but I'd argue whether or not they've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether or not they've heard the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In our passage, Romans 10, 13, it says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the good news. Everyone will be saved. But in verse 14, it says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are, not, unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Bear with me. I didn't need you guys to hear me swallowing my teeth. Sorry about that. Um, There are people in your life that you care about that you very likely might be the difference in whether they follow Christ. How do I know that? Because it says it right here. If we don't tell them, they might not hear. We've already talked about how we're already called to evangelize. The first three truths and myths that we've talked about today are directed at us as believers. The fourth one is going to be directed at someone who's maybe not accepted that gospel, who's not a believer. And myth number four is, I'm a good person. I don't need the gospel. And this goes back to us talking about sharing our testimony. So I hope this can be a time that does two things. One, 
that allows me to talk to you if you're an unbeliever and you see your need for God. And two, in doing that, maybe if you're a believer, you can see the importance of the gospel being shared and the need for it and maybe see a way to be able to do that yourself. I'm no expert at this. In fact, this preparation for this has been so convicting to me because I promise you, I do not do the job evangelizing that I need to do. And that's the awesome thing about God's word. It's not a preacher calling you to do something. It's God's word working in our church, working in our leadership, working in me, working in you. It's not because I've got some brilliant spiritual life. It's because God shared something with me and I, for whatever reason, get to share it with you. God calls it the foolishness of preaching. And trust me, sometimes, man, like I look at my, my testimony we talked about, I'm like, it is foolishness that I'm preaching. But it's God's plan and it's his truth. So let's, let's go into this. Some variations of this. I go to church. I know, I know somebody who's very close to me that's, that's in, this, in this church that his testimony is that he spent years sitting in church as a non-believer. He never believed. He went through all the like steps. He sang the songs, did all the things, but he didn't understand the gospel. He didn't understand salvation. I take care of my family. I obey the rules. I do more good than bad. We can always find somebody that we're better than. But here's the truth. You've sinned. And you need the gospel. That's why our testimony isn't always effective. Because it doesn't point to the root of the problem. And what's the root of the problem? That we've sinned. In Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned, and not just sinned, it said, and fallen short of the glory of God. It means we're separated from God. It says in ver- uh, chapter 6, verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. So not only does it say that we're separated. So if you're, if you're not a believer or you don't understand this, the truth is this. God created each and every one of us. And we individually have chosen to sin against his law, against what is the standard of holiness. And because of that, we've earned eternal death. And when I say death, obviously we're still all breathing, right? We're all still in here. But we're talking about a spiritual death that separates us from God forever. And into eternity... And we don't like to preach about hell, a literal hell. We don't like to do that anymore. But you know, if you had a relative, right, or a friend, and their house is on fire, you're going to call them? You're going to let them know their house is on fire? Absolutely. Absolutely. So it does say the wages of sin is death. So that's where we're at when we're not believers. We're separated from God. 
But here's the good news. We've been talking about this good news. You want to know what the good news? It's not that God's going to make your life better. It's not that maybe all your financial problems will go away. It's not that the second you accept Christ that all your anxiety or your depression or anything else just goes away. But you know what the truth is, what the good news is? That the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's eternal life? I'll tell you it starts the second that you accept Christ and it continues into all eternity. And there will be a day, that day, where Christ will come back for us, where we'll be resurrected, where we will spend eternity with him. And it'll be perfect then. I can't promise you your life's gonna be perfect before then. In fact, the Bible's crystal clear. When we follow Christ, we're gonna face adversity. We're going to face tribulation. It's going to be difficult. It's not going to be easy. So how do we accept this good news? Romans 10, 9 through 13 says this from our passage today. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I want to do something that typically makes me uncomfortable when I'm in your seat. Um, I don't love it when pastors, preachers do this, but um, I want us as believers together in a second to confess that Jesus is Lord. I want us to show if there's an unbeliever in here how simple it is. The Bible talks about the simplicity of the gospel. That's what we're talking about today. You don't have to have a weight on you about how your testimony has to save somebody. We just have to point them to the simplicity of the gospel. It says in verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you're a non-believer, are you have to do is believe in your heart. Listen to that spirit, that's, that, that thing inside you that's trying to tell you that this is the truth. And then it's the simple. Guys, just with me on the count of three, let's just say Jesus is Lord. I'm sorry if this is awkward, but I think it's important. So one, two, three, Jesus is Lord. We just all confess that Jesus was Lord. That's what we just did. It's that simple, guys. We have to realize our need for Christ that we've sinned. We have to believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and gave us power to have eternal life and confess it. In verse 10, it says, for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And one last objection to like cover a lot of times we go, but you don't understand. You don't know what I've done or I'm not like you or we're different or whatever it is. I don't care if that's a long way. What you think you've done, ethnicity, anything, God addresses it and says, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all. That's the gospel. Bestowing his riches on who? All who call on him. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved.
That's the simplicity of the gospel. That's the call to evangelize. If you still have questions, maybe you've not accepted that truth yet and you still have questions, please talk to somebody. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. God puts it, if, if you feel God speaking to you, if you feel something going on, today's the day. I'll be over at Next Steps after the service. Come and talk to me. We've got some people over in the prayer corner. Go talk to them. If you know somebody here at the church, talk to them. Don't leave today without addressing this issue. Believer, if you're not living in the gospel, confess that to a brother or sister in here that you trust. Confess it to them. And look to saturate yourself with the gospel so that we can evangelize, so that we can win a lost, dying world. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today again. Thank you for your word, your truth, your spirit, and your gospel, God. The fact that your son died for us and was buried, but not only faced death, but through your power was raised to new life so that we can have eternal life and so that we can have that relationship with you pray that your spirit would clearly speak to each of our hearts no matter where we're, at, where we're at. If we're already believers and we have to submit ourselves again to your gospel and we have to realize the power but also the simplicity of your gospel, then allow us to do that. If we haven't accepted your gospel, I pray that, that we would not turn away from, from that call. God, thank you for making my job simple that all I have to do is proclaim your death, your burial, and your resurrection. Thank you, God, for who you are and everything that you've done for us. Amen.